Now, friends, I know that it's Christmas. I can see the decorations throughout our whole community. And right now, children with glee of shredded papers. And, you know, and I know that's all exciting. But instead of talking about Christmas today, I thought that I would talk about Jesus instead. Oh. <laughs> you know, this Christmas season perhaps has been one of the best ones I've had. You know, one of the ways that we learn is by asking questions, isn't it? And I have asked a lot of questions, like where did Christmas come from anyway? I mean, the word Christmas, where, what's the foundation of all of that? How about all of the traditions that we have? Because we've experienced them our whole life, we presume that they've just been around forever, right? I mean, the, the wise men, you know, that didn't take place during uh, his birth, right? That was a couple of years later. <laughs> You know, we, we presume these things, so it's just good to ask questions. If we're going to practice such things, let's understand them, right? I've asked a lot of men, and why? You know, if you think about it, why did Jesus need to be on this planet for 33 years? I mean, what was the deal with that? We know, everybody knows, Jesus came to die on the cross for our sin and rise from the dead, which is gigantic, which is enormous. But what's the deal with the rest of it? And so we're going to answer that question here today. Have you noticed, by the way, all of these recent TV shows about Jesus? You know, with all the world that hates Jesus. Well, what are those doing on TV for, huh? And I'll tell you, there is something, if you haven't seen them, I, I think I, I saw an episode of Messiah. Those things are dangerous because oh, the Bible doesn't say, you know, they can be difficult to watch. But this was this intriguing thing of this guy who they never said was Jesus, but he had long hair. And as we know, Jesus had long hair, right? Well, we don't know that at all, do we? Yeah. You know, and he, he was in Washington, D.C., and he took off his sandals and he walked on water. And what was fascinating to me is to see how people responded to such a thing. It, it helps you imagine, what if Jesus... In this virgin birth took place in 2022. We like to imagine such things. You know, we wonder what would it be like. And I'll tell you what, that was not different than in the, the life of, of Israel. They awaited a Messiah. And I'll tell you what, if you liked his first coming, you're going to love the second coming. <laughs> Good stuff happening here. You know, for hundreds of years, Israel thought, the very same things. What will be like when Messiah is here? What will he be like? What will he do? You know, will he be a sports fan? I mean, you know, just silly things that we wonder, you know? And I have, as I mentioned, I've wondered a lot about Christmas. Where did it come from anyway? You know, all of these traditions that we, we practice, you know, the trees and the cards and the lights and the you know where that comes from? 1843. Well, that's not back very far at all, is it? You see, uh, this guy wrote a, a book called The Christmas Carol. I think they've made a movie out of that, too. <laughs> and all of those traditions, so to speak, were introduced through this very popular novel. And people started imitating what was in the book. Well, that's not very meaningful. <laughs> but here we are making it great anyway, aren't we? 
Yeah. See, the Christmas carol, it changed everything. Trees and cards and carols. Before that, you know how Christmas was celebrated? People went door to door asking for drinks and food. It really looked more like Halloween than for Christians. Than silly things, you know, that you can learn. But I asked the question, as I mentioned earlier, why did he come? And I think in John chapter 1, we find three reasons that Jesus came that may not have entered your radar yet. Something you may not have thought about before. So notice with me, if you will, in John chapter 1, verse 1, where we find the first reason, Jesus came to reveal God. Apparently, God wants us to know him. And in the book of Hebrews, it said, look, in, in old times, God sent prophets and angels and varied things, but now he has sent his son. He is the ultimate revelation, revealing God. Notice verse 1. In the beginning was the word. Now, what beginning are we talking about here? The New Testament? No. This is a reference to the very, very beginning of all of the things that exist that God created. How do we know that? Well, look what he says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So now, right now, we say, well, who's this Word fellow? But if we keep reading, the clues become more obvious. He was in the beginning with God. So whoever the Word is, is God. I'll give you a hint. It's Jesus. Take a look. Jesus could reveal God because he is God. Look at verse 3. All things were made through him. Through who? Jesus. When you think of creator, when you think of, and he said, let there be light, and there was light, it was Jesus. Scripture says so right here. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was the life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so here we have these metaphors of light and dark. And light, of course, is, is revealing. You turn on the lights and you can see. And Jesus came to reveal God, and he turned on the light. And he became the light of man. And the light shines in the darkness. Darkness representing ignorance. And the darkness has not overcome it. Now you'll notice here in verse 6, Jesus revealed God by coming. He first revealed God through creation. In Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. How can we know something about God by what he made in the same way you can know something about a child by what they draw? What's their focus? What matters? What's important? What colors do they choose? And so here we look out at this magnificent creation. It's winter time and it's cold. And when it's cold like this, it's hard to remember when it's 96 degrees and we just wish it would be fall. Shame on you people. <laughs> we could be warm today. <laughs> well, my friends, Jesus revealed God through creation, but also through his coming. In verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. 
It's talking about John the Baptist. And he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. So John came to point people to Jesus. That was his job. And the goal was that people would put their faith in Jesus. Now, I like to say it that way because the Bible says it that way, talking about faith. When I talk about believing in Jesus, people tend to interpret that as, do you believe that Jesus existed? You know, do you believe in aliens? You know, and think of all of the things do you believe in, you know, St. Nick, whatever. You know, and we, we really are talking about existence. But when, when the Bible talks about this, it's talking about, oh, so much more. It's talking about absolute dependence upon. Do you accept all that he taught, all that he lived out as true and right and good and that which you want to join in on and have absolutely dependence on him? It looks a lot like this. Christ died for your sin, right? We all know that. Who doesn't know that? You know, we all know about the cross, right? Okay, and what, what was the significance of that? Was it just history and we read about it, the Romans, the foolish decision of theirs to kill him? Or was that foreordained before the foundation of the world that he would die in your place? Let's see now how that belief thing gets a little deeper here. I'm not asking you if you believed it happened, but are you depending upon that for the forgiveness of your sin? Significant stuff here. Jesus, the light, revealing God because he is God. He revealed God through creation, through his coming. And verse 9 says he's the true light, which gives light to everyone that was coming into the world. But you know what? There were people who chose darkness. Verse 10, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. And he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Is that not the saddest story? Jesus, the very Son of God, the creator of all that is, came to his people, and they rejected him. But notice verse 12. Apparently, some did believe. Maybe that's why we're here this morning. Huh? But to all who did believe, who, I'm sorry, take a look at this very carefully here in verse 12. But to all who did receive him, what's the word receive all about? And then there's a comma, and it says, who believed in his name. This is, pardon me for showing some education here, but this is a genitive of apposition. Now, you didn't pay that much attention to you know, what they were teaching in grammar as much as you did who was sitting in front of you, probably. <laughs> and so you don't remember this. And it simply means this. This word is stated and followed by further description, further understanding. So we have this word received. But to all who did receive him, namely, who believed in his name. See, the specifics here, John uses the word receive, and he tells us right here, and what he means is believe. There's that key word again. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, 
He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It was God's will that they would trust in him. How amazing is that? So Jesus came and he revealed God because he is God. So he could reveal God because he is God. I stand up here and I can describe him, my friends. But you won't see him necessarily looking at me. But you'll notice also here in verse 15, Jesus revealed God because it was necessary. Look at what John says in verse 15. He says, John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from the fullness, his fullness, we have all received, grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And here it is in verse 18. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Reason number one of why Jesus came, why there's a Christmas to begin with, is to reveal God. Second reason starts here in verse 14. And this one, my friends, is so significant, and I hope that you can feel this. Why God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He didn't send him straight to the cross, my friends. He could have. You see, reason number two is that Jesus came to dwell with us. Jesus came to live with man. And do you know why? Well, my friends, he's been doing it from the very beginning. I mean, you could go all the way back. Take a look at here, verse 14. This stuff makes me tremble, and it ought you as well. The word became flesh. The very Son of God, eternal, powerful. He is the judge. He is the creator. He added humanity to himself and came into this world a baby. Friends, that ought to blow our minds to think about. You want to talk about a great love? Who would you go, you know, you, I wouldn't go back to high school for heaven's sakes, let alone all the way back to the nursery. Man, that's a great love. Virgin birth is what we're talking about here. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, the interesting word about, uh, interesting thing about the word dwelt here, what does it mean to dwell? It means to live with. You know, to dwell with somebody isn't in the near vicinity, but living in relationship with them. But that word is, is funny because it means to pitch a tent. The word became flesh and pitched his tent. You know what the, the Hebrew word there that is often translated from tent? It's tabernacle. He tabernacled. Now, friends, you're good students of the scripture, so instantly you think, wait a minute. Wasn't there a tabernacle in the Old Testament? Well, as a matter of fact, there was. 
Now we know that how the word was made flesh, it was by the miracle of the virgin birth, prophesied in Isaiah 7.14. You know, but uh, this is really astounding here, friends, because Wayne Grudem, you don't know who this guy is, if you do, better off for you. He said of this, this, the virgin birth, talking about the very son of God, we think of him too smallly, my friends. Again, he is creator God. And he added humanity to himself. And by the way, he didn't depart from that. When we see him, he will have a body, the very same body, with the prints in his wrists and on his side, and the lash marks from being whipped, and all of the spots on his head from the crown of thorns. Still going to be there, my friends. He said, it is, far, it is by far more amazing the miracle of, of the entire Bible, the incarnation of the Son of God, the enfleshment, the taking on humanity. I mean, it, it, is, it is by far the most amazing. I mean, he took on himself sinless human nature and identified with us in every aspect. Far more amazing than the resurrection, more amazing even than the creation of the universe. The fact that the infinite, omnipotent, eternal Son of God could become a man and join himself to a human nature forever so that the infinite God became one person with finite man, will remain for eternity the most profound miracle and the most profound mystery in all of the universe. And in one short, shattering expression, John unveils the great idea of the heart of Christianity. The very word of God took flesh for man's salvation. Leon Morris says, as we tread on such holy ground, I especially identify with Paul's rhetorical question in 2 Corinthians 2.16, and who is adequate for such things? To consider how amazing this event is, how great the love of God that he would do such things. I mean, imagine taking on the nature of a cat. I mean, living the life of a cat. I mean, I don't like cats, that's why I chose cats. If you like cats, good for you, but not for me. How? I heard that, amen, and I appreciate it. Stone them! <laughs> or an ant. Friends, it would be lower and lower and lower to imagine that God would, in such great humility, lay aside his position in heaven, sitting at the right hand of God the Father. That's Christmas, my friends. Is that your Christmas? That's my Christmas. The concept of tabernacle is not a new one. And this is what is so profound about this. You see, the Lord has attempted to live with his people from the very beginning. I mean, go all the way back to creation. There is Adam and Eve in the garden. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6, 
We read, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate and she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked and they they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the desert, in the garden, in the cool of the day. Imagine that. They heard the footsteps of... Now, you will note it doesn't say, and they heard this great commotion, and so they fled. No, they heard the sound of the Lord walking. They were intimate with God before this event. Because God is always trying to be with his people. You want to know why this was such a tragic event? Separation. Here is God who has created this wonderful world for them. And they threw it all away. What a shame. You see, the Lord tried to dwell with Israel out in the the desert, you know. When the Lord brought them out of Israel... His his goal was to dwell with them. Take a look here with me in Exodus 29, verse 45. This is the Lord speaking. He says, I will dwell among the people of Israel, and I will be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. That, see the word that, that's for purpose. I brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. So he delivered them to dwell with them. And even after their horrific sin, when they came to the very edge of the promised land, there they are, and they sent in 12 spies to spy it out to see if it wasn't everything that God said it would be. And they came back after 40 days, and they, it took two men on a pole to carry a bunch of graves. They said it is absolutely everything that God said. It is rich and it is wonderful. God, you know, think of this. This is the great gift God had for his people. They wouldn't have to go in and build houses and cities. They wouldn't have to build walls. They simply had to chase out these people who were idol worshipers, who were an offense to God. And they came back and they said, it's wonderful, it's beautiful, but but we look like grasshoppers to all those people. We should go back to Egypt. And so here is the Lord trying to dwell with his people, bringing them out of slavery, taking them to a new and good and fruitful land, and they reject him. But even out in the wilderness, in Exodus chapter 40, he instructed them to build a tabernacle it's a glorified way to say big tent told them what furniture to put in it and in verse 33 of exodus 40 we see that he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and they set up the screen of the gate of the court so moses finished the work and you know what happened then everything was built according to the design that god gave them 
And as soon as it was finished, verse 34, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. That's how they knew it was time to leave. Cloud by day, fire by night, but there was the Lord in the midst of them. Later on, got rid of the tent. Remember, David wanted to build a house. And God said, I'm going to make a house out of you. And he says, he's talked about a dynasty. And the son of David, you know who that is, by the way? It's Jesus. It's all through the Christmas story. The son of David. He said, it's going to, your son is going to reign forever and ever. But your son is the one who's going to build my, my temple. And he did. And we read about it in Second Chronicles chapter 7. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, that's dedication of this temple, a fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifice. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple and the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because of the glory of the Lord filled the house, the Lord's house. And when all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and they worshipped. And they gave thanks to the Lord saying, for he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. Hmm. There is God longing to dwell with his people. He took on flesh and dwelt among them. You see, that's God's desire for you and for me. That's why Jesus came. And the fact is that ultimately, those who put their faith in Jesus Christ will dwell with God forever. That's the goal. It's been the goal from the beginning. In Revelation chapter 21, and this is a beautiful picture of comfort, talks about what happens next. Question that people have been asking for centuries. What happens after you die? Revelation 21, 1 through 4. John, the same one who wrote in uh, the gospel, says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold. The word behold is not used often these days. It is a word that means you ain't going to believe what happens next. Behold. Hmm. The dwelling place of God is with man. Yeah, that's that same word again, isn't it? The dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. 
And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, no crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. It is the whole story of scripture, my friends. Why did Jesus come? So that you and I could be there. You know who's there? Hearing this behold coming from the throne, this great announcement that finally, finally, they're here and we're together. That is the story of Scripture. Interrupted by constant acts of sin and rebellion against him. Why? How can this be? How is it possible? Well, that's reason number three. You see, the reason that Christ came to is to be a sacrifice for our sin. He came to dwell with us, and then he came to make it possible. He became a sacrifice for our sins. He died for our sin, and he rose from the dead. He died in our place, a substitute. He stepped in for me and for you. You see... The truth is, my friends, that you and I are sinners. Sin is rebellion against God. It violates his laws. The prime among them all is to love him and others above yourself. And that demonstrates itself by stealing, taking something that belongs to someone else, deception, lying to other people. Well, I don't really have to tell you what it looks like, do I? You know, we're all sinners. The, the, the bad news here, my friends, is that the wages of sin is death. And the, the word death means separation. And we know that by experience. We've all known and loved someone that has died. And what we know is that they're gone. Separation. Separation. Separated from God from all of his goodness, his kindness, his compassion, and his love. There's a word for that, by the way. It's called hell. Hmm. Well, let's wrap it up here, my friends. One sermon, one statement. For God so loved the world that he came to us that one day we would be with him forever let this one stir in your hearts a little bit to think that God has been chasing us throughout all of the history of this world that we might dwell with him that is Christmas so my friends get the greatest Christmas present ever by putting your trust in Christ who died for your sin and rose from the dead put your trust in Christ dependence. No plan B's, my friend. You're standing at the gate of heaven. Angel says, why should I let you in? You're going to pull out a list? Well, you know, when I was four, I shared my toy with my brother. No. There is no plan B. There is only one plan, and that is that Christ died for your sin and rose from the dead. Are you trusting in him? 
greatest thing that you could do this Christmas is trust him. And you might think about giving maybe the greatest present ever by telling someone. You say, yeah, I know that stuff. Well, then go tell people. Go tell someone. Lay it out. You're a sinner. The wages of sin is death. Christ died in your place. And you can be saved by putting your trust in him. Merry Christmas. Father, thank you. Thank you for your great love. Thank you for your willingness to send your son. And Jesus, thank you for all that you were willing to do, all that you were willing to endure to get us back. Thank you, God, for your great love. Help us not to forget it in all of the lights and all of the gifts and forget what matters most. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.